Well, good morning. Let's uh, begin by reading God's word. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 17. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is God's word to us today and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Well, we are continuing our study today in Paul's letter to the Roman Christians called, uh, this study is the gospel of God. And two weeks ago, if you were here, you'll remember we began digging into what many consider the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. That's Romans 8, what we, we called the summit of Romans. And we talked about how a, a summit gives us perspective, perspective that allows us to see not only where we've already been, but also where we're heading. And, and I just told you about this summit of Romans 8, how from it you can just see the beauty of all that, that Romans is about. You can see the beauty of, of God's grace, the beauty of no condemnation, the beauty of what it means uh, to be in Christ. And that this beauty, all of this beauty is just meant to both wow you and also to woo you. This beauty is not meant to just be something that we behold. It's also meant to be something that we become. And Romans 8 is just so full, isn't it, of so much of that beauty. Last week and then today in verses 5 through 17, we are, we are seeing together what Paul is teaching us about the beauty of life in the spirit. If you're here last week in verses five to 11, you may remember uh, we saw Paul describe this whole new way of, of being human, this whole new way of living in a real relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul said, there's like two ways to be human. You can be in the flesh or you can be in the spirit. You can live a natural life or you can live a supernatural life. And he told us that one way it leads to death and hostility. The other way it leads to life and peace. That's life in the spirit. Well, today in verses 12 to 17, Paul is gonna build on all that we saw last week and he is going to be showing us how life in the spirit increasingly leads us to freedom from sin. And my prayer today is that we will leave with a greater passion to defeat sin in our lives, to just take on those sins we struggle with and kill them, put them to death and say to those sins, no more, I'm done. Do you ever imagine what that might be like? Do you ever wonder what would it be like maybe in the days and weeks and months ahead if if that particular sin in your life was just not really any longer there? Can you think of one, maybe anger, 
bitterness, greed, lust, envy. If you're like, well, I can't think of one, just go ahead and write pride down in your notes there. Because <laughs> we all have them, don't we? Imagine, like, let's say a year from now, you could look back and say, I was stuck, I was trapped, and I had these sins in my life, and then God met me in Romans 8. And my life today is so very different. That there's so much power. I hope you see it in these God-inspired words we're studying. These words have life in them. And my prayer for us today is that we will see and experience that life because Paul is giving us here in these words, this is vision of life in the spirit. And, and there are gonna be three things that I want you to see, three things Paul shows us in our verses today that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And they're gonna seem really straightforward and they, they really are, but they're so rich and profound, so full of meaning and life and joy and power. And actually power is the first one. The Holy Spirit, number one, gives us a new power. That's verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, Paul says, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And he begins with two little words. You probably brush over them, so then. And those are just there to tell us that what Paul is about to say connects back to what he's already been telling us. And what Paul has been telling us is that life in Christ is about the spirit. Have you been noticing this? There, there is no condemnation for our past because the spirit of life has set us free. That's verses one and two. We have life and peace today, Paul says, because the spirit indwells us. Verse six, we belong to Jesus today because of the spirit. Verse nine, we have hope for eternity tomorrow in the future because the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead will also raise us in Jesus Christ to eternal life someday. That's verse 11. And if you're counting, the Holy Spirit is already in 11 verses, been mentioned 11 times. See, Romans 8 is about how central the Holy Spirit is to our lives, how the Holy Spirit gives us power to live life, and that power changes our lives today. And what he's going to tell us right now is that power he gives us is for a very specific purpose. Verse 12 just tells us that the Spirit gives us power to put sin to death. Verse 13, I should say. Um, but verse 12 is laying the groundwork. He says in verse 12, we are not debtors to the flesh. So what does that mean? Well, it means that we don't owe the flesh anything. We no longer have to listen to the flesh. We no longer have to obey the flesh. We no longer have to live in the flesh because we've been delivered from the reign of sin and flesh. Because the debt of sin has been paid by the finished work of Christ, we are not debtors to the flesh. And that means for some of you, the thing that you need to understand today from these verses is this. You do not have to do all those things that you think you have to do. See, all that sin that you feel like, I, I just can't stop. I, I can't stop speaking. I can't stop looking. I, I can't stop doing that. Paul says you can when you're living by the Spirit. 
because you're not a debtor to that anymore. You don't have any obligation to the flesh. But what does living by the power of, uh, of the Spirit mean? Verse 13 tells us very specifically, it says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And he's referring to ultimate death, spiritual death here. But he says, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And that's eternal life he's referring to. And so he's just saying in verse 13 that living by the Spirit means putting sin to death. Now, verse 13 is actually a promise. Do you, you notice the occurrence, a couple occurrences of that future tense word will. Something is going to happen if then it's, it's telling us. It's a promise that comes with a warning. And the warning of verse 13 is this. Even after we are in Christ, even after the Spirit is living in us, st- sin is still very much present with us. Has anybody else noticed? See, we must never forget that sin is a predator and it's always on the prowl. It's always working to enslave you no matter how long you've known the Lord, no matter how much you've grown in the Lord. And there's a lot of us really, think about it, who kind of think that we can play with sin, flirt with sin, try to contain sin, try to tame sin. We're telling ourselves all the time, it's really not that big a deal from time to time. Maybe you see these things too, like I do. There'll be some story, you know, on the news, on the internet, have some headline like Florida man mauled by pet cougar. You ever seen one of those stories? You find out when you read the story that this guy, he had this pet cougar named Fluffy. And one day Fluffy snapped and he tore his face off. And everyone always is so surprised. Oh, Fluffy, he was always so gentle, so sweet. No, Fluffy is a predator. I know you think you've domesticated her, but two things. First of all, Fluffy is a cat. You can't trust cats. (laughs) Second, second, Is it rocket science to figure out, realize that if you keep a pet cougar in your house, one of these days, at some point, it's going to turn on you and eat you because that's its nature, right? So you entertain sin and it's like you're inviting death into your life. See, nobody wakes up and says, you know, today's the day I ruin my life forever. Today's the day I throw away my marriage, start an addiction, Start lying to everyone I know. Sin always begins quietly, subtly, slowly, incrementally, imperceptibly. These small areas of compromise, but sin is always on the move. And this is the reason why a very famous statement from that great Puritan scholar and pastor John Owen, he he once wrote, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. See, Paul says in verse 13, if we live according to the flesh, we will die. Now that word live there is in the present tense in Greek, which means you're living in sin is this ongoing pattern and lifestyle. It means that continuing to live in unrepented sin leads to death because that's an indication of a heart that doesn't know life, that doesn't know Jesus. It hasn't been made new in Christ. And then he says, but... If, and it's by contrast, we are by the Spirit putting to death. And again, 
This is in the present tense. Put to death also is talking about an ongoing pattern, a lifestyle, something you're doing day after day after day, putting to death the deeds of the body, then we will live. Paul is telling you, the Holy Spirit in you has given you a new power and it is his power in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. It is who you now are if you are in Christ. And so Paul says, live out of, live by this power. So Paul says we have to fight sin. We have to put sin to death, but you need to make sure you notice, Paul says, the way we fight sin is by the Spirit. And by implication, he's telling us we cannot fight sin in our own strength, in our own flesh. If we try, we will always fail. And some of us know that. Some of us are feeling defeated right now by our sins because we've been fighting truly our sin only by the power of the flesh. We have to fight in the power of the Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we put sin to death by the Spirit? And there are many things we could talk about coming from God's Word. I just want to give you three principles that will anchor a lot of other things the Bible tells us to do. The first one is simply this, we must take action. We must see this as something that we do. It's active, not passive. So we don't just sit around waiting for sin to go away. It's this ongoing action. Uh, Like I said, put to death is in the present tense. We act and, and acting begins, don't miss this, it begins by owning our sin, by admitting that there's a problem. Like some of you today, here's what you need to do. You you need to say, you know what? My critical spirit needs to die. Some of you need to say, my anger needs to die. How many of us had some really alive anger already this morning? Maybe on the way to church. Some of us need to say my lust needs to die. Some of us need to say my greed that is keeping me from giving to God, it it needs to die. My self-righteousness needs to die. And by the way, if you've just been thinking about the sin of the person sitting next to you, that last one's for you. So we must take action. Can't sit around waiting. Second, we look to the spirit for wisdom and power. And and maybe you can write under this as well. We don't just say no to sin. A lot of times we talk about defeating sin like we just have to say no. And we do have to say no. It is imperative that we say no to sin. But just saying no is not enough. We have to go to the spirit if we're going to fight sin by the spirit, put sin to death by the spirit. The spirit is a person. He's not an it. He's the third member of the Trinity. And so we go to him and we talk to him. And maybe you remember last week we saw in verse 5 that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And if you think about these verses together, it's clear that putting sin to death means we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So what are those things? If you do a little concordance search, you'll... You'll find similar phrasing in 1 Corinthians 2, 13 and 14, where Paul uses the same phrase, things of the Spirit. And in that context, it's clear that he's talking about God's word, the Bible, which he says the natural person rejects 
but which those of the Spirit receive. And, and so you can say that putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit happens as we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? And this means that we are embracing and we are trusting in God's word and in all the promises that we find in God's word for our lives in Jesus. Maybe you remember back in the gospel of John chapters 14 to 16 where Jesus is getting ready to leave and he, he's talking about the spirit who's going to come and he says the spirit will lead us into all truths. You put all this together, the things of the spirit are God's word where we find the promises that God has for us in Jesus the Spirit teaches us those things. And probably about this time, some of you are kind of saying, yeah, right. I mean, like a Bible verse is really going to help me when I'm facing fiery temptation. Come on, get real, Pastor Mike. Those desires are too strong. Don't just give me a Bible verse. But here's how, here's how you need to think about this. Sin always operates on the level of desires. But those desires that lead us into sin are always, listen, always fueled by beliefs. By beliefs about what is true. See, sin makes claims to you all the time. Sin makes claims. Claims that say things like, God is withholding from you. God is not going to come through for you. God doesn't really love you. Otherwise, he wouldn't let this happen to you. Otherwise, he would take care of this for you. It doesn't really matter how you live. God's going to forgive you anyway. So go ahead. Indulge yourself. Enjoy yourself. You deserve an escape. Sin says that to you, doesn't it? No one ever is going to find out. You only live once. You only live once. You're going to have regrets if you don't do this. Look back and say, I missed all of this pleasure because I was just trying to follow Jesus. You see, sin makes claims all the time. And think about it. Those are word-based truth claims. They're false, but they're claiming to be true. And so to put sin to death by the spirit, we must take the truth that the spirit inspires. That's the word. And we must use that truth of the spirit by the spirit to kill sin at the root. Ephesians six seventeen calls God's word, the sword of the spirit. You ever thought about why it says that? I mean, what do you use swords for? Not to make salad. Swords are for killing things, Right. See, Paul is talking about killing sin by the sword of the Spirit there. And so by the Spirit, we receive God's word as a sin-killing sword that works in our hearts and our, our minds. And as we are doing that, we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And as we are doing that, we are increasingly seeing God's beauty and goodness and love. And, and that just draws our hearts to Jesus. We will want Jesus more than we want sin those superior delights, those greater beauties will become an attractive power that weakens sin and ultimately kills sin. And that leads to the third insight. We fight sin by the spirit uh, when we replace sin, not just remove it. 
I've told you about this before. Uh, probably don't remember. That's fine. Thomas Chalmers was a 19th century Scottish pastor, preached this sermon that became very famous. It's, it's called The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. And, and that's kind of a strange title. I probably never use it today. But his main idea was simply that you cannot destroy love for the world by merely demonstrating its emptiness. If you're a parent, you need to listen to me very carefully here. What he's saying is you cannot just warn your children that the world is bad. You have to show them that Jesus is better. Another way of saying it is this, the power of no is always a stronger yes. See, it's possible to obey out of duty. We've all done it, but it only lasts for a short while, right? It always ends up failing. We don't change. And the reason is we don't address the root of our sin. And the only way to kill sin at its root is to continually take our hearts to the fountain of Jesus. And we drink there of his beauty. And our hearts are satisfied. And more and more and more, we want Jesus more than we want sin. See, if you're looking right now for five quick, easy steps to kill sin, you're missing the point. See, we're in a war. That's why Paul says put to death. We're in a war that will last until Jesus comes or until Jesus takes you home, right? And so we do confess sin. We do receive forgiveness. We do live in community and allow others to challenge us. We do read God's word and we do pray. We give, we serve. We do all these things by the spirit and sin is put to death because the power of the spirit is greater than the power of the flesh. See, Paul, can you see it? He's taking us to the summit here. He's saying, look, do you see Look at what your life could be like if you live by this power of the Holy Spirit. He's given it to you. Life in the Spirit is the second thing as well. Paul tells us in the next few verses that the Holy Spirit gives us a new identity. He describes this in family terms. And he's telling us this relationship we have that the Holy Spirit is part of. is like a, a relationship between a father and a son. Verse 14, he says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So our new identity is God's children. Think about it. Not, not only is there no condemnation over you, not only are you set free by the spirit of life, now you're also a child of God. And Paul is just demonstrating the beauty of God's grace. It's, it's not just as if this weren't enough that we're no longer punished for our sins, no condemnation, but part of the beauty of God's grace is we're part of God's family now. You haven't said amen for a while. You should have said amen there. (laughs) Life in the spirit is life in God's family. And we talk about God being our father. We say God's our father all the time. Have we become too familiar? With the enormity of what that means. That the God, the creator of the universe is your father. We must not think of this casually. 
Paul drives this even deeper in verse 15. He says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So he's telling us we have this radically different relationship. It's not the slavery of fear anymore, but, but it's our new relationship with God through Christ. It's not like slavery because it is no longer based on, condemna- on condemnation, on performance, on the law. That old life was filled with fear of judgment over your performance. Paul says that way is not coming back. And it is so beautiful that not only is the law of sin and the power of sin broken, but God has forever changed his relationship with you. You are his child. And that means everything about how you relate to him is different now. Imagine that you're a child living in a foster home and that foster home is not great. A lot of foster homes are good some aren't. Imagine in that, that foster home, the mom there has a, this thing about her plates and no one knows why, but she's got this thing. And if you ever drop a plate, you know, maybe as you're just washing the dishes, it's an accident. She just loses and she starts screaming at you. These are my special plates. How could you drop the plate? We don't break plates in this house. So you're living in this house where plates mean you better not break them. But then in God's kindness, one day you're adopted and now you're legally part of a new family. And the first time, first night you're carrying your plate to the table, you drop it and the plate breaks and the food is everywhere and you're just standing there. And you know what's coming. You know your new mom is going to scream at you. So you start trembling. But then your new mom comes and just says, oh, honey, are you okay? You can't even like hear the words. She says, let me help you clean that up. She bends down and she cleans up the mess. She says, let's get you some more food. And she gets you to the table and you sit at the table. And it's like the broken plate never happened. See, here's the reality. This new relationship with your new mom, so different from your past relationship is not even the same kind of relationship. And the hope that Paul says we have is this, that old you, that old way of living, that whole way of interacting is never, ever coming back, ever. That's what he's talking about. And he, he just drives it even deeper still. In verse 16, he says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And he's just saying, God loves us with a parental love. I mean, think about your own family. My kids are my kids, no matter what they do, right? I mean, there's times I'm proud of them, times I'm discouraged, like my parents were with me, like your parents were with you. But you know what doesn't change? What doesn't change is they're my kids, and I love them no matter what. See, one of the things we learn from Paul in this and so many other places is that parental love is deeper than painful choices, and that your God's child doesn't mean there aren't consequences 
when you sit. Has anybody else ever noticed that? Like if you have a child in here listening to this message and this week they step out of line and you say to them, hey, there's gotta be some discipline for this. And they say, you know, on Sunday, Pastor Mike said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. (laughs) You can tell them you're a bad interpreter of scripture and you didn't listen to the sermon. Because, no, that, that means that you still get to live in your house, this house. So I'll go to your room. And that's what it means, right? You still get to be a child. That's what no condemnation is, that his love for us will never stop, never let up, because God has fundamentally altered our relationship with him. And no matter what we do as adopted sons and daughters, nothing can remove us from his love. Sin can't remove us. Suffering can't remove us. Satan can't remove us. Nothing can remove us from his love. And parents naturally love their children, but are you seeing Paul's taking it to an even greater level with adoption? See, adoptive parents choose to set their love on a child not genetically connected to them. In fact, when you think about it, adoption by definition is unnatural, yet it's gloriously beautiful. In adoption, parents love a child who doesn't belong to them genetically, but now that child belongs in their family. Think about it. You see the connection. We belong to sin. We belong to the flesh. And the father comes and he receives us into his family despite who we are. He adopts us even though we're not like him. He brings us in. Look again, go back to verse 15. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And you've heard this talked about before, how Abba is this very personal term for father. It, it speaks of this close and intimate relationship. And, and it's just telling us our new identity by the spirit gives us this intimacy with God. Maybe you can think of it like when you're trying to get your babies to say dada. I mean, was, was there like a cold war in your house over what your babies were going to say first, dada or mama? I mean, like every chance that I got, I'm saying to those babies, dada, dada, dada. Because I want them to say dada first, right? I mean, I want that beautiful thing to come out of them because it indicates relationship. I... I don't know about you, but I never sat down with any of my kids and said, okay, listen, say this for me. No. <laughs> say no. I, I never did that. Not one time. I never told them, say mine. <laughs> say it for me. Mine, 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 mine. <laughs> never. Why? Well, <laughs> Those words weren't about our relationship. And God wants us to call him father because he's adopted us. We're his sons and daughters. And this is so helpful to remember when sin comes along and says, hey, hey, come over here. It's like, no thanks, I belong to him. When, when temptation comes and the devil whispers, I have a better way. You're like, what? A better way than my father? See, no way you say, I'm sticking with my father who's loved me and adopted me because there's this fundamental new relationship. And some of you I know right now, you didn't have great dads and I am so sorry. 
I wish it wasn't the case, but I want to say today that should not forever alter how you see this connection with God, your father, and his love for you because God, he is so much bigger than your dad. And I'm so sorry for your pain, but do not let that be where you get stuck and find yourself saying, I don't think I could ever understand God because of my father, because God is so much bigger than that. And maybe you just need to humbly, sometimes tearfully say, God, I need you to be the father I never had, the dad I've never seen. And what Paul is telling us about life in the spirit is the spirit is the one by whom we're able to say, Abba, Father. That's why verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. See, something happens, beautiful happens with the spirit. We, we receive this internal witness of the spirit confirming, yes, I'm his, I'm a follower of Jesus. The spirit dwells in me. He's my father. I love him and he loves me. And we know it's real and we know it's true and we can live by it. We can live in it. See, this is what happens when we are living by the spirit. We have a new father. We're in a new family. We belong to Jesus Christ. This is the summit. Do you see it, friends? Do you see it? This is life in the spirit. Third, the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us, gives us a new future. Paul gives us a new promise about our future in verse 17. He says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So verse 17 is talking about a promise of what is yet to come. And Paul uses this word heir. And again, you may have heard it before. and Maybe you're kind of skimming over the surface of it and moving on. But you must not. You have to stop because it's unbelievable that he would use this word heir. Think about it. It is one thing to be adopted. But to think that you not only become a son and you're part of the family, but you also become an heir, which means that everything that the father owns belongs to you. By implication, he then goes even deeper than that. He describes what our inheritance is like. He says, we're not only heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. He says, we are also heirs of God. Now, this is more than just meaning we get whatever belongs to God. The meaning really is this, that the beauty of the gospel is not only that your sins are forgiven, but at the end of the day, the ultimate inheritance is you get God. And that means for all eternity, you get God in all of his beauty and glory. And as you bask in his beauty and perfect intimacy with him, what happens is that you become everything he intended for you to be. And that is this word glorify, that we may also be glorified with him. In other words, the beauty of heaven is, is that we share in the glory of God, that we reflect his glory and we not only behold the most beautiful thing in all the universe, but there's something about what has happened to us in the gospel that as we are with him, we actually begin to reflect him in a partial, small way, 
we began to reflect all the beauty of what God is. First, John 3, 2 puts it like this, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, we, because of the spirit, have this hope for our future that in some way, somehow, someday, God is gonna make everything right and I will be made perfect and I will be glorified and that glory will be his glory. And that's good news, isn't it? It's life in the spirit. It may be, if you're tracking closely with this passage, you're looking at it in your Bible, you've noticed that I've skipped over a word. Uh, But I wanna end with it. It's the word suffer. And this is also part of life in the spirit because Paul says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. What's the next word? Provided we suffer with him, which means this, to be a follower of Jesus in this world means not only that you've been forgiven your sins, adopted into God's family, the spirit of life is now dwelling within you so that you can defeat the power of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. But it also means as you live in this broken world with broken people and broken bodies, this world that's controlled by sin and by Satan, it also means as a result, there will be suffering in this world. And if you think the Christian life is, I received Christ and from now on it's just vacations in Maui, you are going to be sadly disappointed. You know, one of the roles that we have as pastors is to help prepare you for the day when the bottom drops out so that you have something to hold on to, so that you can know that even in the midst of your pain, that even your pain is still part of God's providential plan for your life. And, and even though we look at the pain and we don't understand how it all works out, we can rest knowing that somehow, some way, my heavenly father has a plan for me. And, and this suffering in some strange and hard and painful way is part of his plan for the glory of his name. And at the end of the day, I love that more than an easy life. That's life in the spirit. See, the problem here is so many of us, we don't really want to think of our lives that way. And the way I know that, by the way, this is not in my notes. This is free. It's extra. Okay, sometimes I gave you free stuff. (laughs) The way I know that is when you suffer, you get mad. Because you don't deserve it, right? This shouldn't happen to me. Maybe to the Raider fans. I get that. I understand. (laughs) But not to me. We, we We don't think... We don't think it's for me. We don't want to believe that the Christian life involves suffering, but to walk through life thinking that suffering is either unfair, not a part of the equation, it just means you don't understand how life works. A lot of us are going to watch football games this afternoon, and I don't know about you, but I love it when they put a mic you know, on somebody playing, you can hear what's going on, like a coach or maybe the player, and I think it's kind of interesting to hear what they're saying. Just imagine today that Brock 
Purdy is in the middle of the pocket and the pocket's collapsing all around him. And then some linebacker comes through and nails him. And, you know, he goes down hard and imagine there's a mic on him and he goes back to the sidelines and he, he goes to the coach and he's like, I don't understand. Everybody's hitting me. Everybody keeps pushing me. I mean, you would say, dude, that's football, right? It's part of the game. I mean, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it, to complain that people are hitting me. They hit so hard and I don't have enough room to throw the ball. And could you guys just not come in so fast, please? Because like it's part of the game. And yet many of us, we do not see the Christian life clearly enough to say it's suffering and the pocket's going to collapse. And it's just a matter of time. You will get hit. And that's how life works. And yet, in the midst of it all, God has sovereignly promised to sustain us that at the end of the day, the scoreboard in heaven is fixed. We know who's going to win. Christ is exalted as king and somehow, some way, all of this that's happening in my life results in Jesus being glorified. And so therefore I can say to sin, you're the problem. You're what's broken in this world and I am not going to give in to you because you're why life is hard and you're why suffering takes place. So I am not going to serve you because I serve a risen Christ and this Christ Jesus has given me his spirit. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God by his spirit is with me that I am alive in Jesus, that I am adopted by the father and I am able to defeat sin by the spirit. God helping me, I in him are gonna make it all the way to the end. And one day, cross that finish line and grab hold of my God and my King and say, I'm home, I'm done. I finished the race. This is life by the spirit and you can have that life you can know that life you can live that life today and tomorrow and every day for the rest of your life because god's word god's word tells us it's true it promises us this reality and we can live in the reality this is god's word for us today southwinds would you all together say amen and would you bow your heads? As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, just we want to take a few moments to pray together because in a few moments from now, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But before we do, just want to encourage you to take some time to talk to your father who's adopted you put you in the family with his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are there any areas in your life where you need to put sin to death? I'm going to give you some time to think about that. We're remembering in these moments 
Jesus' sacrifice for our sins on the cross that gives us forgiveness. So will you just take those things to him? Any sin in your life that you need to bring before God, remember he's your father, your father who's adopted you into his family. He loves you and he wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. We just pray now in the silence. Father, you tell us in your word that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, Lord, today as your people together, would you help us by your spirit to put sin to death, to put to death those deeds of the body to turn away from them, to leave them behind and to walk forward into life with your spirit. Lord, as we receive the bread and receive the cup, would you just remind us in a powerful way that you died for our sins so that we would not live in our sins anymore. And would you give us strength, strength, Lord, to walk into newness of life, freedom from sin. Lord, you are good and you love us and you will never forsake us and you're always with us. And we know that because you gave us your son, Jesus, and he died on the cross for us. Lord, as we receive the Lord's Supper together, now as your people, sons and daughters of the King, would you remind us of your goodness and your patience and your mercy and your kindness toward us? We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,